Hey guys, my name is Nicole Escobar and I am your host. I am also the director of Trees of Hope, which is a nonprofit in South Florida that exists to train, educate, and equip parents on how to protect the children in their life from being sexually abused. We also offer survivor-led healing support groups for victims of sexual abuse. We wanna welcome you because this is our podcast. We hope it encourages you, we hope it inspires you, and we hope you leave here knowing that hope is real, your story matters, and that you are more than just a hashtag. So let's get to our next episode. Hey guys, welcome back to episode five of the Not Just a Hashtag podcast. I am Nicole and I'm here with Holly only. Hi guys. Um, But before we get into the podcast, I just wanted to say a special thank you to everyone who's been listening and subscribing and sharing this podcast with other friends. Um, I actually just had a meeting with somebody the other day and they brought it up and just said how helpful this podcast has been to them and just you know it's it's a needed resource in the sexual abuse realm and it just touched my heart because that's really why we produce this that's why we um, go through the hard work of of coming up with content and making sure that we're doing these each and every week so I just want to thank you so much and um, if you ever have anything you want to share with us or if you ever have any uh, topics that you want us to talk about please feel free to email us at podcast at treesofhope.org. Again, that's podcast at treesofhope.org. So these past couple of weeks have been really odd, and I've personally never thought in a million years that we would be in a situation like the coronavirus. Um, I feel like it's just the other day that my husband and I were sitting and watching that new documentary on Netflix called Pandemic. Mm. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Yes, yes. Okay, that one, when I watched it, I was really, like, I was watching it thinking, wow, this could never happen to us in America here. I mean, we're so safe here. And then here we are, and we're dealing with, I mean, everything is so odd out there. Now, you were just talking about when you went to Starbucks, how they're handling the process of you picking up something at the window. I mean, it's almost eerie, right? Yes. It kind of reminds you of of how times can change in a matter of a moment because just before this whole thing happened I felt like the world and sort of a lot of people in America especially like my friends and they were all at the top of their game they were enjoying their life they were like at their jobs they were excelling um, and now a lot of them got laid off I mean within minutes it was like got laid off their whole life has changed so I don't know but if you could share, Holly, what has this past couple of weeks or months done in your heart with just how uh, quick time can change? Yeah, I mean, it's just been surreal. Like, it has just blown me away by the drastic change, you know? And I think for me personally, just realizing how much I took for granted, and I hear that from a lot of people, but, um, you know, something that I've tried to do in the past, which I've been better at than recently is to be grateful to have like a gratitude list. And that kind of had disappeared in this last year as I transitioned back to full-time work and life got busy. And I think that's kind of been the theme for me in the last few weeks is like, wow, Holly, like think of all those things that you took for granted, you know, all the things that just became a 
almost like a hassle in my life that now only two or three weeks later I would give anything to do. Um, And so if nothing else, I hope that I take that with me when we come out of this. And I think that's kind of the theme I've heard from so many people is that hopefully that this really sticks when we come out. Yeah, I, I agree. One of the things that has truly awoken in me is that how meaningless all of the feuding has been amongst family members, with other friends. I mean, the anger that I have felt towards certain things or people is just gone. It's like, and now I just desire to sort of reach out to people and, and be like, how are you doing? Is everything okay? I'm here if you need anything. And it feels a little weird, but it's like, I can't, because I'm forced in a, in a way, I feel like I want to be that person I've always desired to be, which is forgiving, loving, kind, going above and beyond to be a good friend to someone or be a good family member to someone. And when I'm in my own muck and crap, I sort of don't want to do that. But because I'm forced to, I'm in a situation of pressure, I feel like I want to do that more. Yeah, I love that. And I I truly hope it changes our relationships mostly, you know, like that we don't take people for granted. Yeah, I agree. So I was recently reading this, um, it's, it's an article online. It's from a website that is called the Gospel Coalition. And the author was Mark Oden. And he wrote this article called Eight Things That the Coronavirus Should Teach Us. And I just want to share my takeaways because these they really spoke to me so number one is our fragility and which that i was like what word is that so i looked it up and just basically like how fragile we are and so when you apply it towards your human nature it's just reminding you and us that we are fragile we are here on this earth we're humans we're not guaranteed tomorrow and that we should not take our life for granted and like and as much as we possibly can do the most with our time and um, be intentional with our friends and our family number two is our equality so that one really stuck to me and like really sparked something in my heart is that this is touching everyone so this is touching superstars um, the president this is affecting every single person out there so when I start to like think oh i'm all alone in this which as a survivor of sexual abuse i i've done before because you tend to think like no one else is feeling what you're feeling i sort of like looked around and then i'm like wow everybody's affected i didn't feel so alone anymore and as a survivor i i know that it's affecting so many people right it is the silent epidemic of our day i mean one in three girls one in six boys have been affected before their 18th birthday so if you think about that how many people do not share their story but sit at home and stay silent it just gets me thinking like you should really say to yourself i'm not alone in the coronavirus and i'm also not alone in my sexual abuse i just people just don't talk about the sexual abuse part as much as they would the flu or this other virus. So it just, I mean, it and sexual abuse has no limitations. It affects everyone, anywhere. It does not matter your class, your gender, your race, anything like that. So it's just like, we're all in this together. And there's something that just unifies us with that. And as a survivor, I hope that you reach out to other survivors you find your little niche or you find a group that you can connect with so that you cannot feel alone just like 
people are feeling alone all over the world who can't do anything with what has happened to them, like older people in, in nursing homes and stuff like that. Like as a survivor, you can step out and do something and be a part of a group of people, a community. It's kind of like what we call here our soul sisters or our tribe, right? Okay, so number two is our loss of control. So we all love being in control. I don't know about you, but control is what makes me feel like I am the master of my own destiny. Like if I do this, I get this. And it makes me really feel like I, you know, I'm not going to lose at something or I'm not going to fail at something. But being in control is just simply an illusion. It's a bubble that needs to be popped. And I personally think that the coronavirus has popped mine for sure. I don't know about you, Holly, but. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's been one of the hardest ones. And I think I've realized how much control comes from my my trauma, my sexual abuse is like, that's been something that I've used to protect me for so long. And overnight, it's just ripped away, you know? And so like, what does that look like? How am I handling that? Right. Not great. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, and, and know that again, you're not alone. If you're just like that, if you're just like Holly shared, you're not alone. If you feel like your world is like unraveling and you're trying to hold on to anything for control. Um, I noticed for me, I'm starting, I've, I've cleaned a hundred times a day and my husband said do you even notice that you like I'll put something down like a cup and you'll put the take the cup up and go wash it right away and I told him for the first time I said it out loud I said babe I feel like I've lost a sense of control over my life and those cups cleaning those cups and cleaning un- while you're making a mess in the kitchen is the only thing that gives me gratification right now as I think I have some sort of control and he's like I get it but it's all false <laughs> I don't really have control over anything actually before I got here today I looked at the house because I cleaned and I looked at the house and I said I feel good and I walked out <laughs> But imagine if I walked out and then like, which was the case, I walk out and there was trash everywhere because the guy who picked up the trash, he must have had a bag that opened and all the stuff like flew out. And I was like, and I'm like, I got to go. I can't, I can't, I can't. Okay. So number four is we share a common pain of being excluded. So I don't know if any of you are still visiting with family, but you really shouldn't, um, especially in large groups. Um, But this year is Easter and or this time period is Easter. And this is going to be the first time in my life that one of the most um, honored or uh, sacred holidays for myself is not going to be shared with the people that I love the most. So on Easter 15 years ago, I got saved at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. And I celebrate that that holiday every year just with so much gratitude. And we kind of go around the table and say things that we're thankful for. And every year I, I say the same thing. Like I'm saved by grace. I'm saved by um a a god who has come down to me i didn't have to do anything he came down to me and so my parents are not going to be with us we are going to do a virtual hangout and we're going to do easter together like that but it just feels so different it just doesn't feel the same so we all share the same feeling of feeling separated from those that we love um and (laughs) 
I I don't know, but all of the futile feuding, is that the right word? Futile mm-hmm, feuding mm-hmm. is meaningless now. Mm-hmm. The things that I used to say on this podcast about my parents, I said that in the freedom of not having any of, uh, I, I said that in the freedom of having anger and allowing my anger to just carry on and carry on and carry on. Now in this situation where I look and go, there may not be a day where I get to hang out with my parents in the near future. It feels like that was stupid then. Then mm-hmm. then was that really worth it? No, it wasn't. It was the dumbest argument. It's the dumbest feelings. It's stupid. However, I will say that I'm not trying to minimize the pain of the things that are going on in people's lives. So if you're angry at your family or you've got different situations like that going on and you still have resentment or anger, that's okay. Or you, I'm not asking you to just get over it. I'm saying that take a good look at what's going on in your relationships and in your fights and your arguments. Does it really matter at the end of the day? That's all. Okay, then the next one is there's a huge difference between fear and faith. So what is your reaction to all this that's going on? It's so easy to get gripped by fear. It's so easy to see the coronavirus everywhere we look. You know, when you go and you're touching a computer, you you touch something. You're, I, at least I put my credit card in something the other day and I was like, eek, I don't know if anyone's touched that that has corona. My husband brought rice home and he was like, babe, please wash this because the guy who handed it to me wiped his nose and then handed it to me i was like babe why didn't you hand it back to him (laughs) i'm like get this thing out of the house so i washed it really quick the bag and i was like oh my gosh okay but you know my question to you is if you are panicking why why are you panicking if you are a christian you should be centered in knowing who jesus is and what he has said about our time here on earth what he has said about you what he has said about um, our relationship and how we can trust him there's nothing out of his control he's in complete control and all you have to do is believe in him believe that he is who he says he is and believe that you will never be forsaken you will never be without you will have peace if you lean on him i mean these are promises that are found in the bible so for a non-believer i get it you know you don't have a hope you don't you may have a hope in things but you don't have eternal hope that we have Mm -hmm. do you have any thoughts on that yeah i mean and i think just also being gentle with yourself for where you are on your journey. Cause I know there were times where I believed in Jesus. I knew that he loved me and I still felt alone. And I know, you know, I've struggled with anxiety my entire life. So I constantly, like for me, it's a one day at a time thing with fear because if I allow it to consume me, it will. Um, And so every single day, especially during seasons like this, where I have no control, you know, it's me getting on my knees and saying, God, like I am so consumed with fear, like take it from me for today. You know, and I think sometimes just going back to those basics of like, I can't, I can't even think about a week from now. Like it's so overwhelming for me that I have to go back to just today. What can I do to get through today? What can I do to surrender to Jesus today? And he will carry me one day at a time. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a scripture in Psalm that David prayer, it's a prayer that David prays and it's, um, he talks about, I don't know what word for word, so forgive me, but it's talking about search me and know my anxious thoughts, Mm -hmm. right? That is so important. It's important for you to know what 
is causing fear in your life. I've been reading this book called Dangerous Prayers by Craig Rochelle, and he talks about that prayer, entire prayer, and he breaks it down. And he says, um, the search me part is so important because whatever you're afraid of is what you're not trusting God with. Mm. And that really spoke to me. So I wrote down all my fears over what I'm going through right now. And I had a big old list and now I go, okay, so what I need to do is hand these over to you, God. And it may be a daily thing that I say, okay, God, we're going to do today. We're going to do, I'm afraid of, you know, my parents dying or something like that. Whatever it is, you just have to hand it over. And it's going to be a daily thing. It's going to be a moment by moment thing. It's never going to just fully go away where you're all of a sudden like, woo, I'm fearless now. I think it's replacing the fear with faith and going, okay, I'm feeling fearful, but I'm going to choose to feel faithful instead. I'm going to be filled with faith because I know who he is, not what is happening around me. I love that. I love the act of writing it down. I've actually done that in the past as well. And just like putting it on paper and specifically praying for each fear and knowing that God is faithful. You know, even if the fear feels silly, you know, like I remember writing my fear list and there was hundreds of things on it. You know, this was like an early recovery from my eating disorder. That was one of the things that I did. So I love that reminder. I'm going to do that again. Yeah, it is so helpful. And it also made me realize, okay, wow, I do have a lot of fear and I think you can't attack something or you can't approach something unless you know where you stand on it. And you can have this false reality of who you are, which I have had for a very long time. I have told myself, you're a badass. You can do this. You can do this. And that has kept me from being... Um, sensitive, vulnerable with myself. I've been vulnerable with my friends, but it's kept me from going, no, I'm weak. No, I'm, you know, and now I'm at that place where I can admit I'm afraid because I associated with saying I'm afraid with a sense of weakness. Mm -hmm. And it's not, it's really not. That's only in my mind. That's not reality and and God the Bible says that God is near to those who are broken that God loves a broken and contrite spirit and what does being broken look like well it's being honest yeah it's saying God I I know I'm afraid and I'm giving this to you instead of being afraid I love that all right then the next one is our need for God and to pray so we just talked about that but I'm gonna break this down a little bit more I think when we look at prayer as like, oh, we got to do it in times of need, we're already starting wrong. We need to see prayer as our first line of defense. It is what will keep us grounded, centered, and fearless. When you are afraid, cry out to God. Tell him all your fears, all your worries. Pray for our country, for other countries, for our officials making decisions, for researchers trying to find a cure, and the medical teams who are facing death every day. It's... It's, I can't, I almost went into nursing when I was younger and I'm thinking, I almost wish I had because it's almost like a soldier in war right now. They are literally soldiers in my mind because this is what we're in is, is nuts. And it's, it's almost like, um, it, it's like the unknown floating somewhere around us that we can't stop. It's like if someone sneezes and they have it, it's like, boom. Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people could have it from there. It's like one of those things that it's uncontrollable. 
it is sort of controllable but do you get what i'm saying yeah it's like crazy and to know that there's men and women out there that are saying you know what i care about the human race more and i'm gonna i'm gonna do and go to work every day and give it my best and try to fight for them that just tells me like gosh i love you guys so if you're a nurse out there we just salute you Okay, the vanity of our lives. So I had talked about this, which is meaningless, meaningful. Um, but I just, I'm going to just break this down a little bit more. Um, it, we're in the midst of busyness. Before this, we were in the midst of busyness. Um, working on projects, working at work. We were look, working, you know, Holly with, with student or students what are your patients? Is that clients. what they're called? Clients. Clients. <laughs> yes. <laughs> clients. Um, you know, we're all doing something and I don't know about you, but right before this thing, I would say, I don't know how I'm going to get all of this done in this amount of time frame. And now all of a sudden I'm like, okay, well, sky's the limit on time here. So get creative. And so it's like, none of that matters now. I was thinking about how right before I was so stressed out about one specific thing that I kept going. I don't know how this is going to happen. I don't know how what's going to unfold here. And so I think perhaps this crisis or this time period is showing us what to concern our lives with. It's teaching us what's really important in our lives and what is vanity. Um, this crisis is also reminding us of what we should do, um, what we should concern our lives with and what we shouldn't. Maybe some friends we shouldn't hang out with or what we should um, some things that work that shouldn't get under our skin anymore or that we should take a more of an effort to try to deal with or whatever it is your time now of being alone and quarantined should give you some time to think about what is meaningful and what is meaningless um, I've done this practice before but sitting down again and writing and the reason why writing and you may be able to speak into this more but writing down things it takes it to a new level of commitment and also um, uh, comprehension. Mm-hmm. So it's like when I am at you know church or I'm reading a book, I like to take notes because I'm learning it if I hear it. But then another step to learning is when you write it out. It helps you comprehend it more. So I encourage you to do that. Go sit down and say, what are some things that I was worried about before that just are not important anymore? <laughs> I did that as well. And honestly, I told you, it's such, it's, the list is so small. It's, nothing is meaningful anymore other than my relationships and being a good friend and family. That's it. Okay, then the last one is our hope. So in a sense, the most important question is not what hope do we have in the face of this virus? Because Jesus came to warn us of the presence of a far more lethal and widespread virus one that has struck every man, woman, and child, a virus that ends in not only certain death, but eternal death. Our species, according to Jesus, lives in the grip of a pandemic outbreak called sin. What is your hope in the face of this virus? The story of the Bible is the story of a God who entered a world infected with the virus. He lived among sick people, not wearing a chemical protective suit and breathing the same air as we do eating the same food as we do. He died in isolation, excluded from his friends and from people that he knows and loves, seemingly far from his father on a cross, all that he might provide the sick world with an antidote to the virus, that he might heal us and give us eternal life. 
honestly, that is the greatest gift and it's the greatest hope that anyone on this earth could have is a relationship with Jesus. And as as a survivor, you may have some anger and resentment towards God and um, you may be shifting some of the anger and resentment that should be on your perpetrator towards God. And we understand. And so it's a journey that every single one of us has to walk on and understand where are we angry? Who are we angry at? And if you're angry at God right now, this may not matter to you. This hope, this Jesus, this relationship, you may not even want it. But I just encourage you to get to know God even more if you possibly can. Give it a try. Um, we at Trees of Hope, we have a part in our one of our chapters in our book that we use is all about the anger that someone may feel towards God. And one of the things that we encourage them to do is to understand what God says about sexual abuse, what he says about the person and what he says about the perpetrator. So the only way to do that is you is go on a research journey and find out those things. What did God say when or do? What is the law in place that God would have if someone was sexually abused back in the Old Testament? Well, it was death. So that's how serious God looks at it. Um, God also wants you to be safe he wants to be you to be safe and protected he wants you to heal and there's many verses in the bible that talk about that throughout the bible new and old testament that god wants to heal you redeem your life protect you um the beauty for ashes verse where Mm -hmm. he takes your life what has been destroyed and eaten up and he replaces it with beauty and that everything is redeemable but you have to have faith in him you have to trust him and it's a hard thing to just hear and go okay i get it so that's why i say you got to do your own homework on this you have to look up things you have to um, be someone who who tries to understand who is God and what does he truly say about humans and what does he truly say about me. Okay, so as this virus continues to affect us, I thought this would be a great episode to talk about having inner strength or grit. So as I'm preparing for this, of course, um, I get this email from somebody who challenges my inner strength and my grit (laughs) and so they kind of said something about a project I was working on and it was just really a very nonchalant comment it really had no um, depth or or it really wasn't even warranted because I was asking about something totally different and then they spoke about this other project so I thought hey let me give them a call I'd love to hear more of their heart on this specific thing maybe I could lean learn something from them and glean something from them well they didn't pick up and they didn't respond back to my email or my text message and that was fine um but it got me all brewing and stirring like is this really what i was supposed to be doing is this really what god has called me to do god i thought that you told me specifically to do this and then what this person said was valid that it was like you know their comment was valid about the thing but it just felt um It felt like unwarranted, basically. But the biggest problem that I saw after the fact was how emotional I got. I cried. I went off on my husband about this. I got so emotional. And it just got me thinking that I had, like I shared, I thought for so long I've had this strong inner grit or this inner strength. Meanwhile, I'm like getting like thrown over uh, over here over this one little comment. So basically what that showed me was 
is that I don't have as much inner strength as I thought I did. So I thought this would be a great study to go over how do we increase or strengthen our inner strength. So um, how do you strengthen your inner strength, Holly? Well, for me, you know, as you were just sharing, something new kind of popped into my mind. And I think for me, one of the biggest things today is knowing that I don't have to do it alone. It's knowing that my inner strength is never going to be enough. It's never going to be enough. And I'm somebody that I have tried to do life alone for so long. So, you know, you've heard my story before, but my sexual abuse started when I was three and nobody stood up for me. Nobody had a voice for me. So I learned so young that I couldn't depend on anyone. So my defense was, I'm going to do this all. I'm going to do it alone. I'm not going to ask anyone for help. Um, And obviously that didn't turn out so well for me, Um, but I spent so much of my life constantly feeling like I wasn't enough. I didn't have enough strength. I couldn't do it. And so when I really understood Jesus and I really could rest in the fact that it's not about my strength, like I will never be enough, that I can surrender to him, like that was, it's such freedom to know that it's his strength through me that allows me to do that. But then on the other side, there is a piece of inner strength. And for me, a lot of times it's being willing to just take the action. It's being willing to show up in my fear. And like I shared before, anxiety is a huge piece of my life. And so, you know, every time I'm faced with something new or something scary, like my inner voice wants to say, you can't do this. Just give up. Just don't do it. And and for me, my inner strength is saying, I'm going to take the action, even though I'm terrified, even though I don't know if this is going to work or not. Um, even if it doesn't look the way that I want it to look, I'm going to put one foot in front of the other. And by doing that, I've been able to get through so many things that on paper, there was no way. Like I would write it out and I'd be like, I can't do this. Like it doesn't make sense. And it's like, okay, first, like you depend on Jesus. And then Holly, just take one, just put one foot in front of the other. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if it's perfect. It doesn't matter if you fall down a million times. And I have fallen down so many times, you guys. I have fallen on my face a million times. And the only thing that makes me different maybe than somebody else is that I keep getting up. I keep getting up and I say, you know what? No matter what, I'm going to keep getting up. Mm-hmm. And that is inner strength. That's it in a nutshell for real. So, all right, well, let's dive into it. Um, so for me, inner strength means to have grit and to be re- to have a resilient mindset, right? And like when life's offenses come at you, you're resilient towards it. Um, I also admire and look at myself as somebody, I'm not trying to like toot my horn here, but I do love when I take risks and I go, that was a good move Nicole I'm so proud of you for doing that so um I think that inner strength is having resiliency some grit and taking risks in life um I I know in life we all have the same goal which is to have a good life to perform well at school or work to have an enjoyable marriage like I don't think anyone is sitting around going you know I just don't want to heal from sexual abuse. I, I really want to continue being in this muck. I want to be angry at all my friends. I When I go to work, I just want to be, you know, angry. I just want to blow the place up. Like, I know that's not happening. But we all need a system to get us on the right road and to get us to our goals. But a lot of times the system that we use is what makes us fail, right? So if you're approaching sexual abuse healing and you're saying, okay, the goal is to heal from sexual abuse, 
how do I do that? How do I apply the principles I've learned? And then you just listen to this podcast and then you leave. You've created a system. It may be a faulty system, but it's a system that will never get you to your goal. So a system that I have found that works for me in all areas of my life, not just healing from sexual abuse, but it absolutely did when I took the you know, risk of going towards a support group. Um, the system is to decide, commit, and act. Now, that's a simple system. You can put a lot of different steps inside that, however you see fit. But that has worked for me in all areas. So when I first came to Trees of Hope and walked through the healing journey, I did not want to do it. I've shared it a hundred times on here. It was something I totally kept denying that it was even a problem in my life. I did not want to go. I did not want to be vulnerable in front of these women. I got there, but then I decided, you know what, I will be vulnerable, but I won't I'll only be as vulnerable as I can be. And that's really what I did. So I still decided. I just decided to go the minimal route. I decided to deny a lot of things. I decided to minimize the pain of everything, right? I committed. I went the whole time and I acted. I did all of the homework, but it wasn't until the next semester or the next time that I walked through that I actually decided I'm going to actually not minimize everything. I'm going to say that this affected me and how it affected me. And I'm going to commit to the class and I'm going to act after or I'm going to act upon it. And it changed my life that second time. The third time is when it really changed my life. I decided, I went in and I was like, I am gonna get as much out of this as I possibly can. I'm gonna be vulnerable, raw and real. I am crying on almost every and almost every session. I'm like a boohoo baby. I committed, did all the work, and then I acted all the homework, but then I took it a step further because for me, I needed to grow a little bit more. And that was now I needed to tell groups I needed to speak on social media. I needed to talk as a victim or a survivor of sexual abuse. I needed to tell my parents. I needed to do all of these things to get me to that next step in my healing journey. So doing all that the third time, I gained so much strength in myself. I I do have some problems still, of course. It's, a healing journey is a forever journey, but... I am way better than what I was before. I'm stronger. I'm, and yes, like you said, I love that you said that, dependent on Jesus' strength. I'm 100%. But there's also, I'm growing too. And I'm able to be a voice to somebody who doesn't have a voice and be someone's bravery when they can't find their own bravery. Yeah, I love that. I love that you said that. And I love that, you know, the first time that you make the decision, it may not look perfect. I love that you share you did that three times. You know, like I went to I was inpatient residential for my eating disorder four times, four times. And I always think if I had given up that last time, I would have given up on my future, you know, and I was hopeless at that point. I thought I had tried three times. It failed me. Um, so I love that. Like, don't give up. Just just take that action and ask for help if you need it. You are not alone. And sometimes you can decide and commit, and then taking that action is so overwhelming. So that's what we're here today to say. You're not alone. Like, reach out to us. Reach out to a therapist. Like, have somebody that can keep you accountable to push you to take that action. Because the action part for me is always the scariest part. It's like, okay, I'll decide, and I'm, I'm going to do it. But then it's like, oh, like taking the foot action can be so scary. No, I totally 
totally agree. And like that, maybe like break, let me break that down for somebody. So if you decide that you want to heal from sexual abuse, okay. So what are you now? You've decided that part. Now you need to put proper systems in place that will help you commit to that. So figure out for yourself what that is. For me, when I decided I wanted to heal on the third time is what I'm going to say. I committed to doing the whole process. It was a 12 week process. But in addition to that, I got an accountability partner and that girl became the person when I didn't want to do the class, when I didn't want to show up, I would text her or she would text me and she would say, how are you doing? Going to see you today, right? So it helped me. And I love that you said that. I also in that time period committed to getting a counselor because I knew I could a group would not be enough mm. for the lifelong journey that I was on that of pain and and minimizing everything and denying things and and living in a totally like two different realities right when I was with my parents I lived in one reality like I'm this you know, sweet young lady who never had any problems and excelled in school and maybe had a little blip with drugs, but Jesus saved me. Then I'm over here and I'm like, I want to murder every man I see. Um, However, I'll sleep with a man real quick. Then you'd get what I'm saying. It was like two different lives. So I needed to bring those together somehow, find my identity in them, find my voice, and then figure out a way that I was now going to, what would be my next part, which is act. And what acting was for me was telling somebody but acting for you may be that you just write down your story acting for you may just be that you actually look in the mirror and say you were sexually abused and this is going to be a hard road but you were sexually abused it's it doesn't have to be this big old announce it from the rooftop thing it could be as simple as just believing it for yourself Mm. all right so now what we're going to do is take a look at how do we become less reliant on ourselves and more reliant on jesus so when christians first become christians um this specifically happened in my life i know that i recognized how desperate i was in need of a savior i was in i was doing drugs i was partying i was all over the place so I, there was a need, there was a, there was a, um, a healing touch that needed to happen on my life to change my life from what it was. So I became a Christian and I will say the first couple of years of being a Christian, I was very reliant on who Jesus was. And I, I mean, I would say these cliche comments, but like, you know, it's all him, not me. And then as time went on and my life started to succeed or I started to get good things in my life. I feel that that reliance on God changed a bit and started to, I started to see that that reliance was myself. It was me who was accomplishing these things as opposed to God through me. So there was this like um, an arrogance, I would say, as time went on. Um, And now I've been Christians for, I've been a Christian for many years. And I would say that it's only during crisis trauma, pain, suffering, that I'm reminded that it's not me who's in control, but it's God. And so that is a, um, being self-reliant is a 
huge problem. And it's something that we need to let go of and try our very best to trust God with as much as possible that he is in complete control of our lives. And I just want to give you an example of in the Bible is that there's these people, they were called Galatians and they were new, new Christians. They had heard the gospel. They were like, this is amazing. I can't believe this God died for me, my sin. And they just absolutely ate up who Jesus was. They loved everything about it. So then these religious people came in and said to them, well, you are a Christian and that's awesome, but you also need to get yourself circumcised in order to be right with God. And that was not true at all because we know it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. They were teaching that Jesus was not enough and that it's Jesus plus your good deeds, your good work, your actions that will save you. So although when I was a new Christian, I had this mindset of, saved by grace, so good, awesome. It was as time went on that I realized, well, I, my good deeds, my good efforts, they converted into little saviors for me. They made me think that I needed to do those things to act religious, to act in a certain way in order to make myself pleasing to God. And that was all false. Um, why do false teachers, why does this false teaching come in into our hearts? Because we as humans want to add to something all the time. We want to say, well, that was my effort. I did that. We love being the heroes of our stories. We love to rely on ourselves during this crisis. I mean, like I'm saying, I need to see and feel a sense of control, even if it's in my little cleaning efforts. I love to look around and go, job well done, Nicole, you killed it. As opposed to saying, I'm just a broken vessel here being used by God, right? So self-reliance feeds our self-esteem. It feeds our self-worth. And if you're anything like me, every good deed you do just makes you feel better and better. But self-reliance never satisfies us like it promises. If we get trapped in that lie, it can kill us spiritually. Our impulse to finish or help what Christ did on the cross in our own strength must be exposed and denied in order for us to move forward and for us to go, okay, this is how true healing, this is how true movement forward will happen in my life is I need to be reliant on God and him alone and not on my good works, not on my efforts, not on the things that I can and I can accomplish. Because if you rely on those things, you're only leading yourself into a false reality that you're somehow in control. Yeah, I love that. And I think to go back to the fact that, you know, a a lot of us listening, me, myself, we're survivors. And so, like I said before, you know, we learned from a very young age that we couldn't depend on other people. So a lot of times my human nature kicks in and, you know, being self-reliant is a survival skill. It's all that I knew. I go back to those core messages that I got as a little kid, you know, and so I think it's like a practice of really making that commitment and every single day saying, I don't have to be in control. I don't have to depend on myself. Like Jesus is bigger. He loves me. He's going to take care of me. And I still don't fully understand that because my human brokenness gets in the way so many times. And 
you know, the closest thing that I've had to that as a human example is my husband. You know, I love my parents, but they didn't show up for me when I needed them, you know, but my husband is the closest thing that I have is when I married him, you know, I would try to push him away and I would be self-reliant and over the years of like, he's here for me. He loves me. He wants to take care of me. I don't have to, it's not just me, you know, it's me and him. Um, and I also want to, to say, you know, like we can be self-reliant in our own journey of healing, you know? And I think that was a struggle for me when I first was told I had to be part of a support group or I had to share my feelings with other people. That was so hard for me, but you guys, we cannot heal in isolation. And even if it's so scary to think about joining a support group, whether it's here or through a therapy group, you know, to to really become reliant on people outside of yourself is where the healing really starts. You know, to say, hey, like, I can't do this alone. You know, I need you to hold my hand as I walk through this pain because the pain is too big for me. So obviously, first, depending on Jesus, if you have a relationship with him, and if you don't, like Nicole said, just lean into that, lean into what that might look like. And secondly, like find somebody and we are here for you. We're on this journey with you. You are not alone. And and our our survival part kicks in and wants to tell us we're alone and you are not alone. And healing does not happen in isolation. I tried that for so long. It does not happen. You have to be willing to reach out and be vulnerable with another human being. Mm-hmm. Preach, girl. <laughs> I love that you said that about your husband because there's probably a lot of women out there that do life with their husband but also without knowing it do it on their own as well and I know that I did that for a long time and it wasn't until my husband said something to me like you realize you're not in this relationship alone right and I was like I'm sorry what I'm like I lay next to you I'm, I help with dinner like what, what, what do you want from me and it was basically like I want you to be, I want you to need me. But I told him, ditto, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need that from you mm-hmm. too. <laughs> yeah, I can still relate to that. I mean, I've been married almost 16 years, 15 and a half years. I don't know. Um, but literally, I mean, it was like year eight or something. And my husband said the exact same thing to me. Holly, where are you? Like, you have so many walls up. And I didn't even realize it. But it's all these walls of protecting myself and finally getting to a place where I can truly trust another human being to put those walls down. I mean, it's scary. Do you, I notice. Not in you, but I noticed that in new friendships um, that that happens as well. It almost feels like a dating relationship. Um, just to give an example, and maybe you can give me your thoughts on this, is that uh, I started going to a new church. I've shared about it before, and it was the most difficult time in my life to create new friendships and it was all basically like last year I think they're all really wonderful but I cannot seem to connect a hundred percent and it could be the age difference they're 25 a lot of them and I'm 37 so there's that but I've I asked to take a lot I took several of the girls that I felt like I had a deeper relationship or connection with I took them to lunch or dinner or something and it just felt like difficult how do you be vulnerable with people that you do not feel reciprocation from that is so hard because honestly one of my biggest struggles is if somebody can't be vulnerable with me it's really hard for me to trust them um and so i've really had to work on that like honestly my truth is that being almost 40 like i don't 
really want to waste time. It took me so long to get to a place of being able to be vulnerable that my close relationships, I have to have vulnerability. So I can love and support you from a distance. But for me, it's really hard to let people fully in if they're not willing to go to that deeper level. Um, so I, I don't, I do not do friendship perfectly like that has it's a journey it's a journey of healing and relationships are hard like I still get terrified of getting hurt I get terrified of people leaving me like I'm somebody that will like push you away before you push me away so like just having that awareness I think too of like okay Holly you're starting to push someone away like be real have confrontation talk to them don't just be a 12 year old (laughs) right (laughs) um but like i i think about women who are listening or men really um who maybe getting ready to go and do a group therapy it's hard because they've never shared their sexual abuse even in the most friendliest of settings to go to a room filled with people who they've never even met or had the opportunity to be super vulnerable with or know if they're trustworthy or not what do you what would you tell somebody to do in that situation I mean, I think that that's what's the most beautiful part about groups that are specific to a struggle is because you walk in and even if you have those walls up for the first time, you're in a room of people that have all been through exactly what you've been through, even if it looks a little different. But like to be in a room, I'll never forget the first time I was in a room with people that all understood. I had lived so long alone thinking it's just me. I'm alone, I'm broken, nobody would ever understand. And to walk into a room where people, even if you're not ready to be vulnerable, to see other people being willing to be vulnerable, it's contagious. Mm-hmm. No, it really is. I, I noticed that, like, I vibe off people. I've told, I say this all the time. So when someone walks in the room and they've got, like, a wall up, my wall goes up. But when someone walks into the room and they have, um, they're super, they tell me their life, they share certain things, I am like, a, I almost can't control the, the, I have to put a boundary up. In wisdom, I have to choose to put a boundary up a little bit better because otherwise they'll have every ounce of me and then I end up finding myself super hurt down the road. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Okay, well, I thought that was really great because all of that does talk about inner strength and it does teach us how we can be less self-reliant and more reliant on God. So uh, now we're just going to go to the next step, which is, so how do we become dependent on God and not ourselves? So the best way I have found is through honest prayer. Um, I am definitely not somebody who's 100% on point with this prayer journey. I do not pray every single day. I try to. I give it my go in the mornings. I'm not one of those people that wakes up and goes, oh, I'm going to devote this time to God. Do I feel conviction that I don't? Yes. Do I try to? Yes. But I am somebody who I try to do ongoing conversations with God throughout the day. So if I go for a walk, I tell him I'm like talking about how thankful I am for the beauty all around me and all those things. But I have found when I sit down and I do focused, intentional prayers, that is when I am, I'm feeling on fire, most Holy Spirit affected, just pumped up. And that is when I write also in my journal, those prayers. I also do that because it's, I'm like David in the Bible. When he begins, he's like goes off and then he's like 
flips and because he realized the goodness is he realizes the goodness of god and i almost feel like i relate a lot to that because i'll begin with like you know what the heck why can't you help me here oh my god we get we get and then i'm like oh but i give you praise and glory <laughs> like you deserve all the honor screw me love you like kind of thing so direct communication with God, with him in prayer is what is going to center you. It's what's going to bring you in a deeper relationship with God. And there is nothing that you cannot tell him. You can tell him everything. You can tell him if you hate someone. You can tell him if you're angry. You can tell him if you want to kill someone. You can, and I don't mean literal, I mean in your mind. Um, I mean, yeah, you could tell him if you want to kill someone too. But what my point is, you can talk to him about anything. There's so many examples in the Bible where people petition God, where they come to him broken and a mess, wailing before him. There's times where people, David specifically, why was he a man after God's own heart? He was a man because he was an honest prayer, prayer person. He prayed honestly and earnestly about things. And that's what God wants. He wants a broken and contrite spirit one that is willing to submit and honor and and know that he's he's god and that he's got your back like i said i've been reading this book called dangerous prayers and the second part of that book which is the first part is search me the second part is break me and he said that's a dangerous prayer to pray but if you have the courage to pray it pray it and what that looks like is not break me and it's a fake break instead of saying god help me bless my day keep me safe in this coronavirus he said how about you pray a prayer that's break me break me pour me out use me god no matter what then the second part of that is send me and he talks about how isaiah in the bible um when he was brought in the throne room of god and he, he recognized the holiness and the magnitude of what he was experiencing. And Isaiah said, oh, I am an unclean person with unclean lips. Like, hello, me too, buddy. <laughs> I'm right there with you. And a little cherubim flies over and goes, boom, right on his lips and says, your sins and your transgressions have been taken from you. Then God goes, who will we send? And Isaiah goes, send me. The thing that I love the most about that sentence is not go be a missionary. It's a, That's not the point. The bigger picture is he wasn't even told what the task was and he said, send me. He didn't, if it was me, I would be like, okay, what's the marching order after this, sir? I will let you know if I'm going to go. He was just like, it doesn't matter what you want me to do. Just send me. Why? Because I know you're trustworthy. I know who you are. And I know that you only have good things for me. They may be painful. They may be hard. But I know you. And I am going to say, even before you tell me, send me. Okay, now what is it that you're sending me to do, right? Mm. Isn't that amazing? I love that. Actually, my work just had a retreat. And our, our verse for this year is that. And And I know in the past, like I was terrified to pray that like what does that mean but like I'm in a place where I'm like God like send me like send me not and like you said like I want to be in control like show me the plan nope just send me like use me you know 
And I love what you're doing here because that's what, why we show up here is like we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And if you hear nothing else during this episode, like know that you are not alone, that we are showing up here in the middle of a pandemic because we believe in your journey of healing. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're literally, I have to say this so I hear it. I do not want to put words on a page thinking that I sound good, Mm -hmm. thinking that they're cool sound bites, thinking that I'm some sort of, this is a great idea. Like, honestly, we do this because this is a God idea. Mm -hmm. This is a God-given idea that I had gotten back in the day when we started. And it is something that I, when it's a God idea, I want to put everything into it. And so I don't know it all. Obviously, you know, I a lot of times you hear us and we don't, you know, we're we're sort of processing it all with you. But I hope the one thing you take away when you're listening to us is that we're your buddies, like we're your homies. We are mm. going to be with you for life. As long as I'm able to speak, I'm going to try to do these podcasts as I as I'm going to do them. Mm-hmm. Because I believe that I'll grow, you'll grow and that we'll grow together. And once we're, when we're better, you're better and we're all better. And the in the worlds that we're in, we'll be better. We'll be better friends, we'll be better family, we'll be better sisters, brothers, we'll be better workers, we'll be better everywhere. And that's not because of the things that we're teaching, it's because we're going through this together. We're literally in this together. And this coronavirus has just really helped us see that even more is that we're in this together and you're not alone so holly before we close can you just tell us a little bit about how the power of prayer has helped your life yeah you know i loved when you were sharing because it, it brought up for me you know a time in my life where i was so consumed with anger and i think growing up the way that i did in a very legalistic type of a background you know, you came to God and it had to kind of look perfect, you know? And so I think in my adult life, the first time that I really prayed in anger and God met me there, I feel like that's when I truly started to understand prayer. I understood that it wasn't about having the perfect words. It wasn't about, you know, praying before a meal because I had to do that to show everyone around me that I was praying. It, it had to do with my heart. And it had to do with knowing that God loved me so much that he met me in my anger. He met me in my disbelief. I mean, in that season of my life, like I didn't even know if I believed in God anymore, but I still took the action of prayer and he met me there and blessed me, you know? And so like wherever you are in your journey, like prayer doesn't have to look anyway. It's just like talking to your best friend. It's saying, God, I don't know. Like even now, like God, I'm overwhelmed. Like I, there's days where I want to break down. I don't know what the future holds, God. But he already knows that. He meets us in all of our emotions. Mm-hmm. So true. And like I, I know me and my husband, we over the past week, um, we had our dog had knee surgery. She had bilateral knee surgery. She had a torn tear in both knees and then a torn knee meniscus so she has 12 um screws in in the totality of both of her legs long story short is um you learn a lot about someone when you're home alone together and when you have a ill dog or human that you have to take care of you learn 
different ways that people work you learn different things that people don't do or do what whatever when you're pressure it's like a pressure cooker all of a mm-hmm. sudden it's like boom it, on your lap and you just can't get away from it so we were fighting constantly it was like and then i was even saying things like i don't think this is gonna work and i'm like okay you can't say that anymore when you were dating that was doable but now that you're married so i said okay my approach has to be different so i'm i sit down with him and and i'm like can we talk about what our communication problem is? And I, he's like, well, you're always telling me what to do, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And what do you, and so of course, right. So now as we're talking, I noticed that I started being just more vulnerable and I was just being honest with him. And I said, you know, listen, when you say this to me, it bothers me in this way because it makes me feel disrespected. So what I noticed was there was, there was this very honest, open conversation that in the past would have kind of been fluffed off to to just move along with because we weren't in that pressure cooker. So it's sort of like how we talk to God. In the past, because I wanted to be kind to him, I didn't want to ruffle any feathers, and same with him or whatever, didn't want to be disrespectful, we would be like, babe, it's okay, not a big deal. But in our heart, we would be brewing and going mm. away and like, he doesn't get it, what's wrong with him, and vice versa. But when we're honest and open, he said to me and I felt like we kind of made a little headway which was I feel very connected to you right now and I was like oh thank you I'm like I feel really connected to you too (laughs) I'm like okay let's go make a baby no I'm kidding I didn't say that but I said that's probably what God feels Mm. when we are when we're like coming to him when we're like God you know uh, and, and just being like not fake but just not genuine and real and honest it's like okay move along it's and then it's a safe prayer it's Mm -hmm. a comfort zone prayer Mm -hmm. but when we're like god search my heart Mm -hmm. show me everything that's keeping me from you and then we're like break me pour me out don't worry about me right now don't protect me let me be used by you no matter what the cost that's a dangerous prayer Mm -hmm. and then we're like send me or whatever And no matter what you want me to do, send me. No questions asked. I'll just go. (laughs) That's honest prayers Mm -hmm. right there. So I have to improve in this area. Um, I definitely need to be more self-reliant on God. Mm -hmm. I need to understand that, especially here at Trees of Hope, that this is his organization. I got nothing on it. You know, I'm just here managing it the day to day. I'm just a manager. And it's a hard thing because it's like scary out there, you know, and you start worrying, okay, what my future is going to look like. And then you hear him say, because I'm sure you as an abuser, as an abused person would hear this too, is you worry about what is your family going to say if you share your abuse? What is your um, people at work going to say if you share your abuse? What's going to happen if you walk through healing? What's the pain? God doesn't ask you to worry about that. What he asks you is to worry about the now, which is what he's called you to do. I love that. Okay. So that's it. We are done with episode five. Please stay safe out there. Next week, I'm going to be guest speaker with Holly, uh, who is not this Holly, mental health counselor. (laughs) Different Holly. (laughs) Holly, who was on the Start by Believing episode. Um, She's awesome. She's got so much insight. She is also a mental health counselor. I am just like surrounded by mental health. Are Are you guys trying to tell me something? Maybe. (laughs) We're sending you some messages. (laughs) I have one. Don't try to tell me that I need counseling. Okay. Love you guys. And honestly, I hope that 
you know we love you we honestly we're putting our own lives in danger mm-hmm. by coming here but honestly we love you guys so much and even though we can't see all of your faces and can't hug you and and any of that we we want to send you love and air hugs and all of that but we also we just hope you keep coming back because we're gonna keep coming back no matter what the cost so we'll see you next time bye bye guys thanks again for listening To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. Maybe even consider rating the podcast or share it with one of your friends. It really makes all the difference. For more content from Trees of Hope and to connect with us, go to treesofhope.org. We love you. Bye.